Welcome to Talking Points. I'm your host, Brian Kelly. And on this episode, we have a couple anniversaries to celebrate. We've got the Talking Points one-year anniversary and a special guest all the way from the 50th state. First off, it's been one whole year since we launched Talking Points. Come on, everyone, clap. Clap wherever you are. If you're in a car or a crowded subway, just kidding. You don't need to clap. But we made it, you guys. So make sure you check out thepointsguy.com for a look back on the best episodes of this past year. We're going to mash up all of our favorite guests from the CEO of Clear, Shy Weiss from Virgin Atlantic, icon Martha Stewart, and even famous drag queen Trixie Mattel. And of course, we'll have all of our favorite things, credit cards and points with our on-staff experts. So make sure you tell us who your favorite episode is and who you want to hear on Talking Points, because now that we're a year old, we've kind of got credibility. And since we've had so many amazing guests, it's kind of shocking when we reach out to people and almost all of them say yes. So who do you want to hear on Talking Points? famous, not famous, points nerd, someone in the travel biz, let me know. And make sure if you want to keep us going, give us a rating, a good rating, better be a good rating, and review on Apple Podcasts. Come on, show us some love. Now, our next anniversary comes from the beautiful state of Hawaii. Peter Ingram, president and CEO of Hawaiian Airlines, joins me to celebrate the airline's 90th, yes, 90th anniversary. They started in 1929 as a small island hopper, and now it's a global carrier with an amazing new fleet coming in just a couple years or less. We'll go into detail about the airline's history. Even though Hawaiian has had tough times in its 90-year history, one of the things that really makes a difference for us, our employees are fantastic aviation industry as a whole. Fuel efficiency is something that the entire industry is focused on and is going to have to be increasingly focused on going forward. And Peter's predictions for the next 90 years of Hawaiian Airlines. One of the things we absolutely want to do is make sure that we are maintaining a modern fleet with the most fuel efficient airplanes that are available. That's all ahead right after this. So I've only flown Hawaiian once, but a lot of our employees have flown. And and I was flying from Sydney to uh, Honolulu. The minute that you walked on the plane, the smiles, and you felt like you were in Hawaii. And that's something I've, you know, in all of our reviews of your airline, 
you know, you get that happiness on the plane and you really don't get that elsewhere. How have you fostered that culture, especially through the tough business times, to really have your frontline employees emit that Hawaiian spirit wherever they are in the world? So I think what you're referring to is really a product of the focus that we have. So when you get on the airplane, we want to make sure that the colors you're seeing, the sounds you're hearing are evocative of Hawaii. So that is very intentional. The most important element of that, though, and I think it's what you were referring to in your question, is the human element. And one of the things that really makes a difference for us, even though Hawaiian has had tough times in its 90-year history, our employees are fantastic, and they are really concerned about what they can do to care for the guest when the guest is with Hawaiian Airlines. And I think a lot of that, frankly, is tied to our destination, the culture of Hawaii, the fact that 90% of our employees live in Hawaii, the vast majority of those folks are born and raised in Hawaii, and they've grown up in this culture, which is steeped in hospitality and care and family. And I think a lot of that comes naturally to them. And you see that when you interact with our flight attendants on the airplane or our agents at the airport. And as a management team, what we're trying to do is not create a brand new culture. It's really how can we create an environment where that culture is allowed to emerge. And in some cases, it's just, you know, don't get in the way. Just let people do what they want to do, taking care of our guests, and good things will happen. Mm-hmm. Seems simple, right? Yet so many companies, not just airlines, seem to get that wrong and get way too much in between employees and customers and just doing the right thing. Let's talk about your plane. So I know you've got a big 787 order. You know, historically, you know, you're You've operated 767s and the A330. We still have a couple years until the 787 comes. What was the main decision to go that route versus the A330neo or 350s? The 787 is actually going to be here in the spring of 2021, so it's not too far down the road. I'd actually step back a little bit to a decision we made about a decade ago to add the 330s to our fleet. And one of the things, and and it was frankly because I hadn't previously in my career been involved in fleet decisions, it was really the first fleet decision that I was directly involved in. One of the things that emerged very clearly in my mind as we ordered the 330s and eventually grew our fleet to 24 was that Making fleet decisions, I think it's important for any airline, but particularly for an airline like Hawaiian that has some very discrete missions. You know, we've got 100 and 200 mile flights here in the island of Hawaii, and then we've got nothing between that and a 2,500 mile flight. So I joke sometimes that our average flight is about 900 miles. Um, But if you Hmm. drew a circle around Hawaii 900 miles from Honolulu Airport or Kahului Airport in Maui, you would see that unless you are prepared to land on an aircraft carrier, you don't have anywhere (laughs) that those airplanes can go. So we really have to be mindful about 
you know, what the economics of the, the airplane are, what the size is, what the range is. And for us, you know, the 330 at the time was the right aircraft. When we made the 787 decision a couple of years ago, one of the interesting things and one of the great things from the standpoint of our business was that we had two very viable options in terms of the 787-9 and the A33900, which were about the right size, had good range economics, had good, good economics from a fuel efficiency perspective. So we were able to have a very good competition with both of the uh, the airframe manufacturers. And ultimately, the 787, an airplane that has a lot of future to it in terms of, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a replacement for that airplane anytime in the next 10 or 15 years. The economics are are very compelling for operating it. And I think it it is the right size and gives us great flexibility to serve a variety of missions in our network from some of the larger O&Ds on the West Coast, but also being able to serve our further afield destinations like New York and Boston and Sydney and Tokyo. So we think it's a terrific airplane and we're, uh, we're excited to uh, be only a year and a half away from having people experience what we're going to do with it. Does the 787, does that put you in striking distance of London? Have you guys ever considered that or is that not yeah. on the plan? Um, well, it is not yet on the plan, but yes, it does have the range to consider uh, a direct flight from London in a way that, that we couldn't do previously. And, and I think there are some other destinations you know, further away from the East Coast in Australia or places in Southeast Asia that are available now for consideration. Those are the sorts of things when you're buying an airplane with range that people get very excited about talking about. But the airplane also has to work for the routes that we know that are part of our network today and and are going to be core pieces of our network for the next decade and beyond. So things like Japan, things like the Eastern US. And not only does it have the range for that, but it has very good economics for that. And again, is about the right size for the type of origin and destination markets that we're serving. Have you decided yet the interiors on this 787? Will it be the same, roughly that same cabin as the 330 currently, especially in business class? We are haven't revealed all the specifics of those decisions. We we are going to have a, a lie-flat product in the front of the airplane, and we've actually selected a new seat manufacturer called Adiant for that. You may be familiar mm-hmm. with that name. It's a joint venture between... Boeing and a company that was an automotive seat manufacturer and we're pleased to be launching a seat with them that we think is going to be a really terrific product in the front of our airplane. We will likely have similar proportions of premium cabin seating, extra comfort seating, and main cabin seating to what we have today, but those decisions are still being finalized and concluded, but there's a a lot of work going on with our team, and we'll have more to say about all that publicly over the next few months. Cool. I found it really interesting when you unveiled the last business class. You know, most airlines are doing one-to-one in business class. Uh, 
And Hawaiian, I forget who said it, but they're like, actually, you know, when you think about most people traveling to Hawaii, we did the two, 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 because most people are as a couple, you know, having those single seats is actually not a good thing for Hawaiian. Is, is that true? And um, does the two, two, two configuration truly work out better based on your or leisure customers? You're right. We have a lot more people on our, our airline that are traveling with someone. Most people don't go on vacation all by themselves. They go on vacation with someone that they're excited about traveling with and they want to sit with that person on the airplane. So having more doubles available is something that is uh, absolutely advantageous to us. Interesting. Moving into sustainability, what else is Hawaiian doing around sustainability, especially as we hear more and more about flight shaming and consumers demanding more sustainability? You know, I know you guys have have a lot going on there. Can you explain some of the things that you're doing to reduce the uh, imprint on the environment? Sure. I'll start with fuel efficiency. And here it is. It's something that the entire industry is focused on and is going to have to be increasingly focused on going forward. And particularly for us with the amount of long haul flying that we have that is requires a lot of fuel. One of the things we absolutely want to do is make sure that we are maintaining a modern fleet with the most fuel-efficient airplanes that that are available. And and that was certainly a big part of our decision to add the A321neo, which is the most fuel-efficient airplane serving Hawaii now. The 787s coming forward are incredibly fuel-efficient. So those are important elements. And the other thing we're doing is making sure that besides just the airframe engine combination driving fuel efficiency, it's also putting in things that allow us to be more efficient with that. So making sure we're always flying optimal flight patterns as much as we can, doing things like engine washes that improve the efficiency of the engines. There's a long list of of more discrete fuel efficiency initiatives that we've been doing for a number of years, and we keep adding new things to those lists. Beyond that, there's a couple other things I would talk about, and one is not particularly unique in that I think other airlines are doing it, but we're we're right now in the process of reviewing a lot of the materials that we use on board the airplane as we're, we're serving our guests with an eye towards having more sustainable options. And it takes a little bit time to do that that review and source the products, but I think we are very much of a mind that everything we can do to eliminate single-use plastic to make sure that we're uh, that we have an effective recycling program on board. All of those things are are important for reducing our impact on the planet's resources, but it's also important from the standpoint that it's becoming an expectation of our guests that we're doing what we can to do that. And so that is an initiative that we've got ongoing right now. Um, There are a variety of other things that we do just because, or in part because we are here in Hawaii that aren't related to our day-to-day activities, but are more related to being a part of the community here. So we work with a group called Sustainable Coastlines that is involved in preservation of our oceans and of coral reefs. And we've worked with 
a company that makes a reef safe sunscreen a cup this uh they're named raw elements and we've we've done giveaways with them and promoted world reef day with them here in hawaii starting last year we had the first world reef day and those things are meaningful to us because of where we are on an island our chain of islands located in the most isolated spot in the world in the middle of the biggest ocean in the world uh, it is uh, it's really important to our the people in our company it's important to our guests and uh, and we think it's the right thing to do so we're going to continue to emphasize uh, those things going forward it's great to hear. I think the whole travel industry needs to be doing more of that. What are your thoughts on sustainable fuels? I know some airlines have had uh, biofuels. Is that a realistic thing that we could be using these you know, biofuels that are much less negative to the environment? I think it is realistic. They're clearly not economically viable today. Um, but I do think that as we think about how our industry is going to reduce its economic footprint going forward. And, and the industry broadly has made commitments through Corsia to have long-term reductions in the amount of carbon dioxide we produce and improving our environmental footprint going forward that are, are not going to be easy to achieve, but a lot of them will be achieved through technology. And we've made great strides through engine and airframe changes, putting winglets on airplanes, modernizing our fleets with more fuel-efficient engines. But I don't think that alone gets us there. I do think biofuels, today they're not economically viable, but they are viable as a fuel source from the standpoint that you can use the fuel on a drop-in basis in an engine that is built to consume typical petrochemical jet fuel. And the real limiting factor right now is how can we drive the cost of those down so that they are competitive in the marketplace. And I'm not a chemical engineer, but I have great confidence with the strides that have been made that we're going to continue to see those become more viable as we go forward and different alternatives become unveiled. And I, I think 25 years from now, when, uh, when I'm probably long retired, I'm probably going to look back at how this part of our business has evolved and just look at wonder about how much more fuel efficient this industry is. Yep. Certainly hope we all look back and say we did our part in being forward thinking about this. More of my conversation with Hawaiian Airlines CEO Peter Ingram coming up after the break. Stay tuned. 
Uh, it certainly doesn't get old for me. Uh, Hawaii is just a fantastic place. It starts with the climate for those of us who grew up in the north and had to deal with northern winters. But it's also just a great community. The people here are so warm and welcoming, and I've had a, you know, a great experience in the community and more particularly within the Hawaiian Airlines Ohana. So uh, it's not getting old for me, and I don't expect it to. <laughs> uh, how many, you know, Hawaiian islands are there that people visit? And have you been to most of them by now? Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. There are a total of eight Hawaiian islands. But if you think about the place where people visit, it really is four or five places that people go to. So obviously here in Honolulu, we've got Waikiki, and that is the the largest place for tourism. But there's also the island of Maui, where there are a variety of different cities that have focal points of tourism. The island of Kauai, where we've got Lahue Airport, and that is another popular vacation spot. And then the big island is really an island of two main airports and two cities. One is Kona, which is more of the uh, resort and hotel destination. And then Hilo is actually the second largest city in terms of population in the state of Hawaii behind Honolulu. And it is also a place where there's tourist attractions. And, and in particular, that's where the easiest access is to the active volcano, which has been an important tourism focal point over the last several years, although right now it's not because it is less active than it has been right now after we had a lot of activity back in 2018. Yeah, how is that going? I, I remember reading about the reports and, uh, you know, with Mother Nature and, and volcanoes, you never quite know what's going to happen. What's the status of the volcano there and, and when do you expect kind of tourism to ramp up fully again? Well, it's interesting. Um, You know, last year, this got a lot of attention starting in the spring and going through the year. And the volcano had been active for, I forget if it's 30 or 35 years right now, but at various points, you were able to see the lava flowing and see the activity and the the caldera of, of the volcano. It is still an active volcano, and it will erupt again at some point. But right now, there is no active flow. And so the downside of that is that as a tourist attraction, there's less to see right now. The upside of that for the people who live and visit the Big Island is actually the air quality is better than it has been in three decades. And the sky is bluer than it has been in three decades because the volcano is not actively flowing at the moment. But I guess these days in the age of Instagram, people need that shot, you know. So I guess with no lava flowing and smoke, it's a little anticlimactic for some people. <laughs> but good for good for Hawaii. In general. It, it is still a remarkable thing to visit, though. And you, and you asked a moment ago how many of the, the islands I visited. One of the points I made when I moved out here was to get around and visit all the islands. And, and I remember taking my kids to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park when I first got here in Hawaii and my kids were younger. And and one of the things that I just found remarkable just walking around the lava flows from five or ten years ago is to think that right here below your feet, 
the earth is being created. And that is a, hmm. that is a sense of wonder that I don't think you can get other places that you can get here in Hawaii thinking about, you know, this is, this is the creation of our island is happening right here at this spot. And it, it really gives you a, a perspective that I think we drift away from sometimes when we get involved in our busy, active lives. Mm-hmm. So in 2005, you got tapped to join Hawaiian. Was that a no-brainer for you and your family, or was that something you had to think long and hard about moving so far away? The Hawaiian opportunity was particularly intriguing to me because Hawaiian was a company that had been in bankruptcy between 2003 and 2005. It was a bit of a, a small untapped gem. There was an awful lot of potential here, but it hadn't fully been realized and I liked the notion. One of the things I really liked about it, and it ties to the last role I had at American, the last job I had at American was being the CFO for American Eagle. And I found that I really enjoyed being a part of a somewhat smaller organization where you could get your hands around the detail a little more. You could work directly with people in terms of different parts of the business. And it was just a little bit less of an administrative exercise to get things done. And the notion of joining Hawaiian at the time, which was an airline that had 25 airplanes, 14 767s, 11 717s, only 3,300 employees. It was an opportunity to make an impact and to work with a small team to drive this company into the future was, was really appealing. And I haven't looked back and, and certainly have absolutely no regrets about how it has played out since then. It's been a wonderful experience, the time I've been in Hawaii. And congratulations on all your successes. How do you make a, a mostly leisure destination that's in a far off place? How do you make that airline really profitable? Because everything we talk to in, in most airlines, you know, it's the premium travelers paying a boatload, company contracts, et cetera. Like, do you find it more challenging that you are in such a leisure destination to really drive up those margins? I think the way we have turned, and when I say we, I'm not talking about we, the, the management team. I'm talking about we, the 7,300 people who are working together at Hawaiian Airlines. But the way that we have made this a sustainably profitable business is by really putting attention into focusing on how we need to be competitive at the very specific thing that we do. So we're not trying to be American or United or Delta who are focused on business markets and giant global networks. We're not trying to be a point-to-point -point commodity carrier. We've really oriented our business at, around what can we do to serve the needs of people who are traveling to, from, and within Hawaii and let's do those things better than anyone else. And if we do those things better than anyone else, then that will accrue benefits to us in terms of a willingness for people to, a desire for people to fly Hawaiian Airlines. And we'll, we'll, we have proven that if we do that, we can generate a revenue premium in a leisure market. And I think we don't have to beat the other carriers at everything. 
We just have to be better than the other carriers at our thing. And if we focus on that, we're going to be successful in the long run. I want to ask one final question that my aviation team was like, you got to ask them. So, you know, part of these days, partnerships are really important. And Hawaiian has a lot of partnerships with different airlines. But you aren't in one of the three major alliances. Is that on the table for you? Or do you like your uh, independent status when it comes to airline alliances? We have different partners who are part of different alliances. I think we've also got a couple of other things that weigh into that thinking. One is that our neighbor island network is important in a variety of fronts. A lot of what we carry is local traffic here in Hawaii, but in terms of connections, we are a utility to all the airlines in Hawaii. And so we're partnering there with airlines across all the alliances. And one of the things I say, we may be the only airline in the world that carries the code of American United and Delta on our flights in the the neighbor islands of Hawaii. So we're in a unique position of partnering across the alliances. I think the other thing I would say, and this is more of a, a recent phenomenon, but I think people are increasingly realizing that the value of the big global alliances, uh, One World Star and Sky Team, is not really there for the guests in the way that people hoped it would be when they were originally created. And increasingly, airlines are turning to deeper bilateral relationships, often with joint ventures involved, as the best way to really deliver the benefits of cross-border airline partnerships. And so our focus right now is on our partnership with Japan Airlines and the application we have for a joint venture with them that we think has more opportunity to provide benefits to our guests here in Hawaii or across the ocean in Japan than it would be if we were to spend our time focusing on joining one of the global alliances. (laughs) All right, final question. So you're on a Hawaiian A330, you're traveling with your wife. Who gets the window and who gets the aisle seat? Linda always gets the window. (laughs) That's an easy one. I'm a window guy myself. (laughs) Non-negotiable. Cool. Well, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. The future of Hawaiian Airlines is bright. And congratulations again on your 90th anniversary. Very impressive. Thank you. I appreciate it very much and really has been wonderful to talk to you. And I can talk about Hawaiian Airlines all day. It's a fantastic group of people I get to work with. So I'm, I'm always pleased to have the opportunity to talk about our, our company and where we're going. So thank you very much. You know, I'm going to make the announcement here. In 2020, I'm going back to Hawaii and I'm going to fly Hawaiian Airlines. So you can wait to see me on board. But uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Talking Points. I'm your host, Brian Kelly. And once again, a huge thank you to Peter Ingram, President and CEO of Hawaiian Airlines. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks, Brian. That's it for this episode of Talking Points. Thanks again to Peter Ingram, the CEO of Hawaiian Airlines. And thanks to our freelancer on the ground in Honolulu, Heidi Chang, and to my own amazing crew here at TPG, Christy Matsui, Margaret Kelly, and Caroline Chagrin. And happy one-year anniversary to Talking Points, my little babies growing up. I'm super proud of you guys and this series. Can't wait to see what the next year of episodes will bring. I'm Brian Kelly. Safe travels. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 